Good morning, Chapel Hill. In 2012, our church moved out of a denomination and into a new church home. And it was, um, it was uh, as I look back over my 29 years here, it was one of the most important and most wonderful things that we had ever done. We never knew that there could be such a great uh, church home like the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It turns out that uh, two of the big guys are here this morning along with their wonderful wives. I want you to meet them. They are our friends. So first of all, the Reverend Dr. Jeff Jeremiah, he is the big kahuna. He runs the whole thing. He and Cindy are here. And then, so you guys stand up, hold your applause because I know it's going to be raucous. So Jeff and Cindy, and then uh, and Scott and Scott is our moderator. Scott Griffin is an, elected annually. He's he's kind of running everything uh, for the church. So Scott and his beloved wife Mary are here. They are friends of this church. They have walked with us from the very beginning, and and they are the big cheese. So would you please welcome the big cheeses to? If you're with us for the first time, uh, this new program here, last week we embarked on a year-long adventure. And what that is that focus going to be on? Prayer. Say prayer. We are going to give ourselves to prayer this year. And we launched it last week. We went to the Gospel of Luke and we listened in as a disciple asked something that no disciple ever had or ever would afterwards, according to the Gospels, asked Jesus to do. The disciple said, Lord, would you teach us? And what did he ask him to teach them? Yeah, Lord, teach us to pray. And I'll, I'll tell you again, that is the cry of my heart as your pastor and your brother. Lord, teach me to pray and teach us to pray. And so that is the stirring of our heart. It is what we think the Spirit would call us to. And so we're inviting you to be a part of that journey this year as we really commit ourselves to learning what it means to pray, to pray without ceasing. What does that mean? And I'm going to tell you this right now. The devil does not want you to pray. The devil does not want you to pray. And I was reminded of that in a very vivid way this last week. As I told you last week, Cindy and I sold our house of 28 years uh, and we moved into a beautiful one-bedroom apartment. And one of the things about that is it's a chance to learn new rhythms and new patterns in life. And, and so I determined one of the things I'd like to do was to take advantage of something that's unusual because our newspaper tube is 0.6 miles away from the front door of our little loft that we call the barn, 0.6 miles. And so this summer, what I did was first thing in the morning, I get up and I walk to the newspaper tube and I take my phone and it has my Bible app and I memorize a scripture passage. On the way there, I memorize scripture. And then when I pick up the newspaper and start back, then I meditate on that scripture, which means like a cow chewing your cud. You just think about it, chew at it, think about the words. And then I would pray whatever it is that the Lord was teaching me out of that passage of scripture that I was, that I had memorized. And I want to tell you, especially in those moments when your prayer life seems dry and pointless, there's something very powerful about just praying God's word back to him. Praying the scriptures back to him. So 
One of the things I hope that you will do this year is join me in committing more of God's Word to memory. You can start with the benediction that we are doing. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. It is a powerful passage of Scripture to put into your soul. I'll hope that you will do that. It was great. It was powerful. It was transformative for me during the summer. And then guess what happened this week? This week... After the Sunday when we launched our new uh, effort in prayer, we, got, we, we announced that this is where we're going to be as, uh, as a congregation. Guess what happened? I got too busy for my prayer walks. It was one of those weeks when I just felt like the world was kind of falling in on me, honestly. I have three funerals this weekend, two more this afternoon. Uh, I had a session meeting, a sermon to write, and, and I was feeling swamped. And I felt desperate, and the only thing I could think about when I got up in the morning was, i got to write stuff. i got to get stuff on that computer screen. And then about Thursday, I caught myself, and I realized that this was the devil at work. Because the devil would love nothing more than to get me so occupied in doing religious stuff that he stops me from, that it stops me from praying. And so I decided to fight back. And even though that Thursday morning I felt like the last thing I had to do was take take a 20-minute walk, I took my walk and I memorized my scripture and I talked to the Lord. And when I got back, there was such a sense of peace and calm that came over me and it was one of the most productive mornings I, I think I've ever had. Bill Hybels once wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray. And I, I can relate to that. And so I hope that resonates with you because make no mistake of it, my, about it, my dear uh, church, the, the devil is going to fight with you on this. He does not want this church to be a praying church. He is an enemy and he's going to try to make you too busy or too bored or too distracted or too tired or too something to pray. But I'm convinced that if the people of God in this church will pray, that what awaits us on the other end of this journey will be revival. And we will see the Spirit at work doing things in this church and in this community, that in our schools, that we would never imagine otherwise. You really want to make a difference, nomads? Then it better be surrounded by, you ought to be on your face in, the, uh, in prayer before the Lord. So that is what I'm calling us to today. That's what I'm going to be calling us to. And you're going to journey with me in both my high points and my low points. I'm going to tell you the truth about my own prayer journey. So you won't feel like, gee, it's always, you know, it's not always. It's sometimes down. But we're going to walk through this together. So I'm asking, how many of you took a step this week, one step forward in your own prayer journey? Raise your hand if you took a step forward. All right, good. That's some of you. That's not enough of you. I want to see all of us raising our hands saying, I'm doing one thing. I prayed before I took my head off the pillow that in the morning for the first time ever. I want to remind you as of our prayer journal. There are all kinds of helps in here that will guide you, and there are 400 more of them. Go and, and pick one up and use this as your prayer, daily prayer guide. Use this for your life groups. It'll make a difference to you. Okay, nod your heads, yes, just like I made them do it. Yes. Okay, I'm going to count on you for this. This week, we commence a 10-week journey through the Lord's Prayer. We looked at Luke 11 last week, but, but for the next 10 weeks, we're going to be in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And we find it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in the context of Jesus' teaching on prayer. 
And so in order to set the context for this journey through Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, I want to read you a different interpretation, a different translation of that part of the Gospel of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. And it comes from this book. It's one of my favorite. It's the Jesus Storybook Bible. So I want you to listen to this translation of that portion of the Sermon on the Mount. In those days, there were some extra super holy people. (laughs) At least that's what they thought. And they were called Pharisees. And every day they would stand out there in the middle of the street and pray out loud in in big extra super holy voices. And they really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever no one understood what they meant. People walking by would stop and stare, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra super holy people wanted. They wanted everyone to say, look at them. They're so holy. God must love those people best. Now, you and I both know they were wrong. God doesn't just love holy people, but the people walking by weren't so sure. Perhaps you did have to be really clever or good or important for God to love you. Perhaps you had to know lots of difficult, clever words to speak to God. So one day, Jesus taught people how to pray. He said, when you pray, don't pray like those extra super holy people. They think if they say lots of words, God will hear them. But it's not because you're so clever or good or so important that God will listen to you. God listens to you because he loves you. Did you know that God is always listening to you? Did you know that God can hear the quietest whisper deep inside your heart even before you've started to say it? Because God knows exactly what you need even before you ask him, Jesus told them. You see, God just can't wait to give you all that you need So you don't need to use long words or special words. You don't have to use a special voice. You just have to talk. So when you pray, pray in your normal voice, just like when you're talking to someone you love very much, like this. Hello, Daddy. We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again and in our hearts too. Do what is best, just like you do in heaven. And please do it down here too. Please give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want You are in charge now and forever and for always. We think you're great. Amen. (laughs) It is actually a very good translation of that story. Uh, At the time of Jesus' ministry, prayer was becoming something of a spectator sport. And there were all these professional religious folks who would pray these ostentatious prayers loudly and publicly that were just intimidating to ordinary people. 
And Jesus saw this, and when he had these people gathered around him on the sermon, on that mount, when he was talking to them, he said, this is a sham. You don't have to pray that way. In fact, they aren't even praying. They're performing. It's not for God. It's to show off to you. Jesus said, don't pray like that. I'm going to show you how to pray. And then he set out this simple, modest outline of prayer, which we know as the Lord's Prayer. How do we begin that Lord's Prayer? What are the first words? Our Father what? Our Father who art in heaven. Or as this translation put it, hello, Daddy. Don't you love that? Hello, Daddy. I became a father 24 years ago last Thursday. That was Rachel's birthday. When this little bundle of fire, Rachel, came into our lives, Rachel was speaking to her mom on the phone this week and she was lamenting her advanced age. She said, I'm 24 years old. I have one foot in the grave. And her mom said, if you got one foot in your grave, what does that say about your dad? Don't clap. That was a naughty thing for her to say, actually. It wasn't very nice. One of the sweetest words that I hear coming from my ancient 24-year-old daughter is the word daddy. Or daddy-o, as she calls me when she's in a particularly playful mood. And if you are a dad, I bet you'll nod your heads in agreement that one of the sweetest things that you can hear from your daughter, no matter how old they are, is when they call you daddy. Am I right, dads? And listen, you know you're getting worked, right? (laughs) Daddy. You can feel her wrapping you around her little finger, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because you just love to hear that word, daddy, daddy. Perhaps the most astonishing thing about the Lord's Prayer is this salutation, our Father. We skip right over it. We don't think a thing about it. But did you know that it would have been considered shockingly impertinent to all of the Jewish listeners to hear Jesus pray that way and teach others to pray that way? Jews would never call God Father. That was considered inappropriate. One did not address the, the God of the universe in such intimate terms. And yet that's how Jesus prayed. We eavesdrop on his prayers throughout the gospel. They jotted things down. They listened as Jesus was praying. And we hear him again and again and again addressing God as Father. In, um, in very intimate terms. Or in even more intimate terms, a term he used was Abba. Say Abba. Abba. It wasn't a rock group. It, it, was the, the, it means daddy in the language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic. He called God Abba, daddy. This, this was, as a matter of fact, the only time, the only prayer that we have recorded by Jesus in which he doesn't call God daddy or father. Do you know when it was? When he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because this was the prayer of dereliction. This was the prayer of abandonment. In that moment, the sin of the world came crushing down upon him. And for the first time in all of eternity, in his eternal relationship with the Heavenly Father, he felt abandoned. 
And he could not bring himself to pray, Father, Daddy, he prayed, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But it makes it all the more remarkable then, that one exception, that every other time Jesus prayed, it was to Father. Now, you might ask this question, well, what gave Jesus the right? He was Jewish. He was born into a millennia of, millennia of Jewish tradition, which thought it unseemly to talk to God as Father. So what gave Jesus the right? Well, I want us to back up three chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, and I'll show you why Jesus had the right. This is Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 and following. You can turn if you want to, but I'd like to just tell you the story, and then you can turn to it later. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. But do you come to me? Jesus said, he answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the waters and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him and behold a voice from heaven said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased this is the word of the Lord let us pray Beloved Son, we come to you now and we ask you to bring us to the Father as you have invited us to pray. We thank you for the intimacy that you had with him and we long for that too as we pray our Father. Jesus, teach us how to do that. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen. So the first act of Jesus' adult ministry was to make a 90-mile journey from Galilee down to a little bend in the Jordan River where his crazy cousin, John, was baptizing people. John's message was a call to repentance. In other words, he was saying, you guys pretend that you're children of God, you pretend that you're the chosen people, but you're not living like it. So stop being hypocrites. Be what you claim to be, what God wants you to be. Repent. And as a sign of that repentance, he would dunk them in the Jordan. Hence, we got the name John the Baptist. That's why we call him that. Now, baptism wasn't new. This wasn't something he invented in in the Jewish tradition. As a matter of fact, in order for a Gentile to convert to Judaism, he had to be baptized. He also had to be circumcised, which cut down on Jewish evangelism considerably. I got to do what to join your church? Yep, that's it. But this idea that someone who was already a Jew would be baptized, it was revolutionary. John was out in the middle of nowhere, and they were coming to him, nevertheless, in droves. And not just the common people, but Roman soldiers were coming, and religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, they were coming too. John was baptizing them. It was an amazing thing. Then comes along cousin Jesus, and John doesn't want to have anything to do with baptizing him. I need to be baptized by you, he said. And do you come to me? 
But Jesus he insisted, didn't he? He said, let's just do this for now. It's important. It's the way it's supposed to be. And then the fireworks begin. And we really don't do it justice, but you've got to see that Matthew's trying to give us a, a written description that evokes something of the cataclysmic moment that occurred that day on the banks of the Jordan River. And he uses one word twice to kind of get us pumped up. The word is, behold. Say behold. Not a word we look use very often, but, but it's the word that means look or don't miss this or open your eyes if you have got to see this. It is amazing, he says. When Jesus was baptized, we read, immediately he went in, up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. So did you behold the behold? It's, it's in there. And the first thing we behold is the Trinity. Did you realize that? Now, three chapters into the gospel, we have a glimpse of the Trinity. There you have God the Son standing in the water. He's, he's soaking wet from his baptism. You have God the Spirit descending out of heaven and uh, like uh, in the shape of a dove, in the form of a dove, and coming to rest upon the Son. And then you have the voice, right? And we're not talking about the TV show, the voice. You have the voice. Who is the voice? God who? God the Father. Yes, you have God the Father, the voice of the Father crying out as well. And we know he's the Father because of the second behold. Behold, Matthew writes, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved with whom I'm well pleased. We have four gospels. Three of them are called the synoptics, which means that they are parallel, run along next to each other. They're kind of similar. John's different. But in the three synoptic gospels, there are two places where the voice speaks audibly to be heard. Here is one of them. And then the other place, remember, was a place called the transfiguration. Remember that? When Jesus went up on the mountain with three of his disciples and and Elijah appeared to him and Moses appeared to him and the glory of the Lord shone around him and it was powerful. In both of those instances, the voice, God the Father, spoke and he said essentially the same thing. In both instances, he said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. He added on a little bit at the the transfiguration. He said, listen to him. And I think it's because Peter couldn't keep his yapper shut. He was just blah, blah, blah. And basically, I think God was saying, Peter, shut up. Listen to my beloved son. He's the one I want to have talking right now. So you have these two instances where the voice speaks. And in both instances, he declares the same thing. Jesus is my son, my precious one, and I am very proud of him. So Jesus had the right to pray to daddy because daddy said, yep, you're, this is my boy. And he told everyone around him who witnessed it. Jesus had the right to pray to Abba, to father, because God called him his son. That doesn't, however, explain how Jesus could teach us to pray that way. So Jesus has the right to pray to the father, but what right do we have to pray to the father? And yet Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way, our father. Well, we need to go back to the baptism one more time. Has it ever struck you as interesting that Jesus would be baptized? What is baptism for? In John's baptism, it was for repentance, right? It was for forgiveness of sin. But if Jesus is sinless, as we believe him to be, then 
Why did he need baptism? That doesn't make sense, does it? John didn't think it made sense. That's why he said, listen, you're the Messiah. I'm a nobody. You baptize me. I don't want to baptize you. But Jesus insisted. He said, let it be so now, for it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. But you say, isn't Jesus already righteousness? What is there to be filled up? He is already sinless, righteous, the Messiah. It doesn't make any sense. What is he talking about? Here's what he's talking about. You. He was talking about you and me. Get this. This is important. Jesus wasn't baptized for his sins. Jesus was baptized for our sins. The sins that he would be taking upon himself on the cross. When Jesus allowed himself to be baptized, he was fulfilling our righteousness. Or to put it in a different way, in baptism, we were adopted into God's family. God becomes our father too, because Jesus the son has become our brother. We have access to the father. We can call God father because Jesus the brother says it's okay. He makes it possible. Does that make sense? Let me, let me explain it this way. My son Cooper, uh, two summers ago, he worked with the Rainiers. He was a parking lot guy. And uh, so we went a few times. We really enjoyed it. And so last spring, when Summer Cooper was still back at school, Cindy and I made arrangements to go to the game. We had tickets waiting for us. We were going to park in VIP. It was going to be awesome. We show up at the parking lot, and there's a young man standing there. And uh, I said, yes, yeah, Mark Toon for two for VIP. He looks down the list, looks down the list again. He says, um, I'm sorry, your name's not on the list. I stiffened up in my seat and said, I'm quite sure that it is. <laughs> and I can prove it to you. I have it here on the phone. And the kid says, are you Cooper's parents? I said, yes, we are. He said, come on in. <laughs> So I came on in and went right up to the VIP parking, got up, went to get my tickets, found out I had reserved the wrong day. (laughs) But because of my son's name, I was welcomed in anyhow. And that is exactly the story that's taking place here. We are adopted into the father's family because of what the son has done for us because of who the Son is. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, He has the right to teach us to pray in this intimate way. Our Father, because He's our brother. And by the way, did you notice the word that we start with? Our. That's why our prayer begins, Our Father. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray, My Father. Although we really think of it, that's, that's what we think of when we pray it. We really are thinking, my Father in heaven, give me this day my daily bread. Keep me from temptation. Lead, you know, we think my, my, my. There's not a singular, singular in the whole of the Lord's Prayer. It's all plural. Why? Because we have been adopted into a family. You have been adopted into God's family and we are in this together. And it is right here in this one little word, our, that we find a statement from Jesus about the church, the necessity of the church. We are saved in and through the church. We are baptized into the church. And in this age of individualism, 
including Christian individualism. I want to say this as clearly as I know how. The idea that you can be a Christian all by yourself, that you don't need the church, is heresy. It is false teaching. Jesus made that clear when he taught us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven. This image of a heavenly father is, it's an easy one for me. And it's a precious one because I have a good father. He was sitting here last service. I have a father who loves me and has always loved me. A father who is proud of me and has always been proud of me. A father who has championed me and encouraged me and believed in me and launched me. So when I think about a heavenly father, I think about the earthly father that is a model of that. And dads, I'll just tell you this right now. One of the greatest gifts that you can give, that only you can give, is to speak the words that we heard in that blessing to your own children. If God the Father thought it necessary necessary to tell God the Son, I love you and I'm proud of you, which is what that blessing is, not once but twice, it might be a signal that this would be something that your kids would benefit from. And if you do not speak to your children every day the words, I love you and I'm proud of you, you are stealing from them spiritual power because there is power in the Father's blessing. And I received that blessing when I was a kid. It helps me to believe that God is a good daddy. But for some of us, we have a different image of father, don't we? Some of us were raised by dads who were distant or even aloof, who were neglectful or even abusive, and in some cases violent. And so you just, it can't even resonate with the idea of a loving father. The images don't go together. And to you, I would say, I am sorry. You deserved better. You deserved the gift of an earthly dad who loved you and protected you and blessed you and called forth greatness from you and launched you. Here's the good news, though. Because Jesus is your brother, you do have a father. And this one's a good one a father in heaven who does love you, who finds you to be precious and priceless and wants you to know it. Thirteen years ago, if you've been here long enough, you'd know that. You don't, but most of you do. Thirteen years ago, I had a near-fatal accident. And, uh, and when I rebounded from that, I changed the way I lived. I changed my morning schedule. I I just started living life differently. Coming close to death does that to you. And one of the things that I decided to do was to walk my daughter to the bus stop every morning. And so I did. It was wonderful. One day, though, I heard after I, got, after I had left the bus stop, I heard that a, a kid who was kind of a bully started picking on Rachel, making fun of her because her daddy had to walk her to the bus. And he was just teasing her in front of the rest of the kids. And, um, and in typical Rachel fashion, she snapped back. If you don't want a relationship with your father, that's your problem. <laughs> and that was the end of the teasing. That was the end of it. 
So the question really that this begs of us is, do you want a relationship with your father? Do you want a relationship with God that's more than aloof and distant out there somewhere, but is intimate? Do you want a relationship where you can pray, Daddy, my Daddy in heaven? What would happen if this week you focus just on that part of the Lord's Prayer? Don't even get any further into that. Just pray, Our Father, Daddy in heaven. And just talk to him about that. Thank you that you are my daddy. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you've called me to be your child. Thank you that you have adopted me. It would change the way you think about prayer. Especially if you've never had a good father. I, I want to ask you, would you be willing to trust those of us who have? Would you be willing to take our word for it that there can be something better than what you experienced to And would you take the risk of crying out again to a daddy who I promise you will never hurt you, never disappoint you, never abandon you, never. Our Father, who art in heaven. Let us pray. I want to do something that I don't normally do. I want your heads bowed and your eyes closed, please. I want to ask this. As you were thinking about your own father, I wonder how many of you said, I have a father like Pastor Mark's dad. I have a father who loved me, who championed me, who spoke love and blessing into my life. If, if that's your story, if that's your daddy, would you raise your hands up and just keep them up? All right. Just, I want to pray for you, so keep the keep hand up. Lord, I pray for those who are lifting this hand right now. And it's a a joyous thing to be able to pray this, to say thank you for earthly fathers who, who were good dads, who loved their kids, who blessed their kids, and who created in them the longing to pass that on to another generation. I thank you, Lord, for the leg up that that good father gave these people in believing that you as the heavenly father if they had this good daddy on earth, I'd be a great daddy in heaven. Thank you for that gift, Lord. You could put your hands down. And now I want to ask this again with eyes closed, head bowed. How many of you would say, no, that wasn't my dad. I had a dad who was aloof, who was unkind, maybe even abusive, maybe violent, or at the very least never spoke words of love or blessing. He was critical and harsh. If that describes your life, would you raise your hand? And I want you to keep your hands up because you're the ones I really want to have received this. Lord Jesus, would you look upon these children of yours? They they didn't have a fair start. Their, their, Their dad was not who he should have been for whatever reason. They might even have a wound as a result of that because they were not given the blessing that comes only from a father who pours out his love and pride and approval on his children. So Lord, those whose hands are up now, I pray that you would set them free. If there is a a prevailing wound in their life, God, would you heal them of it? And, And God, would you help them to believe that there is a better father, a good father in heaven who wants to pour out everything into them that they failed to receive when they were young. God, set them free. Help them to know and love you 
as the good, good Father who loves them. I pray this in Jesus' name.